You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. You know, I pray that as we have fully now entered into this Christmas season and we now are two days away from gathering around potentially maybe a tree in your home and gifts around that tree and the celebration that morning is going to be, if you're not careful, all about that. When maybe what we should do is take a moment and make sure we reflect back over the past few Sundays and talk about Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Introduce our children and our families to what Christmas really is all about. We have it so confused and so backwards that we forget sometimes that we have dethroned Jesus and not even intentionally. Let's remember that Christ is Lord this morning. Amen. Christ is Lord. He's Lord of our lives. He's Lord of our tongues. He is Lord of our mouth. He is Lord of our money. He is Lord of our days. And he must be Lord, especially during this time of the year where we honor him and worship him for coming into this world to save us from our sins. Amazing. I've enjoyed these so much. And it's fitting that we should be in 1 Peter chapter 5 as we finish our sermon series on Wake Up Call. And so I want you to turn there. And while you're turning, I'm going to give you an introduction to the message in just a moment. Before that, I want to uh, let everyone know that we are going to be reading our Bibles through together this year. And at the end of the service, before we leave and right before the benediction, our missions pastor, Scott Mercer, is going to come and share with us a little bit of that plan and how we can do it together and grow together this year. And it's going to be fun. It's exciting. Kind of our Christmas gift to you is this plan. I think you're going to love it. If you need a worship guide, if you'll slip your hand up, these are the note-taking little guides we give you. So if you're in the balcony of the main floor and you'd like one of these, just slip your hand up and we'll get everyone that did not get one earlier one of those. This week, our offices, for the most part, are closed, although we, we can be available at a, at a Beckons call or text or email. So do not be afraid to do that. I'll be in town the entire holiday. So I'm looking forward to serving you and helping you in any way that I can if you need that during the, the holiday season. Well, it's been a blast. I have loved being in First Peter. I've heard some really positive, encouraging things, uh, which are helpful when you preach through a book like this. Uh, people have uh, said that we have covered a lot of ground practically in Christian living that has helped all of us. I know it's helped me a lot, especially this morning. We've been giving these wake-up calls. These are a uh, kind of an alarm that goes off in the Christian's heart when he is maybe struggling in a particular area of, of his life. And Peter seems to be all about wake-up calls. He's kind of an abrupt individual anyway. He's not afraid to say it like it is. And that's what we found him doing. First of all, we began with a wake-up call about our great salvation in chapter 1. And we acknowledged that it is not just okay salvation, it's a great salvation. And God deserves uh, our lives and our, and our lordship. And then we talked about the imperatives of, of making sure that as we live the Christian life, that we are flying right, that we are staying on that straight and narrow, that we're careful not to get distracted by the things of this world. And then on week number three, we talked about discipleship, uh, the, the wake-up call about truly being a disciple of Jesus Christ, not just in our salvation, but also in our, our, our walk, our witness. The next two Sundays, week four and five, we talked about spiritual formation, which is 
truly asking ourselves this question often. Are we growing in grace? Are we making progress? Am I more spiritual today than I was a year ago? Am I advancing in my walk with God? Spiritual formation, very important. And Peter gave a lot of verses for that. So we took two Sundays. Week six was a wake-up call about authority in our lives. Week seven and eight, a wake-up call to husbands, a wake-up call to wives. Week number 10 was a wake-up, week nine rather, was a wake-up call to relational success. And last week, or two weeks ago actually, a wake-up call to suffering. Today, it is clear in scripture that our wake-up call is about humility. And though we didn't plan it this way, we couldn't have planned it any better. God knows exactly how to write the script. Here we are on a day that we are honoring and worshiping one of the most humble acts ever done or the most humble act ever done in mankind when God sent his son to be born of a virgin in a lowly manger to save us from our sins. Someone who was sinless left his throne of glory to come and live with sinful man to die for him and for us. And so the humility of Christ is a great example to us. And so Peter finishes his writing in this first book and addresses this subject of humility. Someone has said, when you figure out how proud you really are, that's when God can bring you to this great gift of humility. When you figure out how proud you really are. In other words... I wonder how many of us this morning have already fallen into the trap of, well, I'm a pretty humble guy. You know, I'm I'm glad so-and-so's here. You may have identified your great need for this message. Because the truth of the matter is, all of us here today, were we to be honest, struggle with pride and selfishness. And looking out for number one. And so it's when we acknowledge how proud we really are. It's when we as husbands, men, acknowledge we are proud and that is, that is so damaging to our marriages. When we as wives recognize we are proud. When we as children come to the place where we say, man, I, I just struggle with pride when it comes to obedience. And parents, we struggle with pride when it comes to domineering and, and, and dictate, uh, dictatorial leadership over our kids. We struggle sometimes employers with pride over our employees, employees with our employees. I mean, it is a problem in church. And so Peter addresses this. I read some funny things before we get started on a serious subject. That you know you are being humbled when your horn sticks on the freeway behind 32 Hells Angels motorcyclists. (laughs) You know you're humble when your twin sister forgets your birthday. (laughs) You know you're humble when you're... Your driver's license picture gets complimented. You know, you know you're humbled when you're, you call your wife and tell her that you'd like to go out and eat tonight. And when you get home, there's a sandwich on the front porch. It's humbling. You know you're, humble, hum, you know you're being humbled when the bird singing outside your window is a vulture. Humility. A lot of people have had tough and difficult circumstances in their lives. I often say that at church. If you come here for a month, you're going to hear me say something like that. We're all going through something that's difficult, every one of us. I mean, it's not just a bump in the road, really. Life is a bumpy road. It just is. There's very 
little smooth sailing in life. Very little. It's just tough. There's a lot of things we go through. And sometimes as a result of going through those tough and difficult and even at times embarrassing things that happen to us, our response, if we're not careful, is, well, I just think that God is humbling me. Man, I tell you what, I'm going through this or I'm going through that. And, you know, God just might, must be trying to humble me. And yet nowhere in the Bible does it say or, or, or does the Bible teach us to be humble. I'm not sure that the tough circumstances in life and the difficult times in life are really God humbling us. I, I would tend to disagree with that. You see, humility is something you feel. Rather, not something you feel, it's something you do. I don't think that God actually humbles us. I think we must humble ourselves. It's an act. It's putting others before yourself. That's intentional. It is, it is esteeming others, Scripture says, better than you. It is having an attitude contrary to, I'm not... I don't know all the answers and I'm not wise in my own eyes, as Proverbs says. Humility is not something you feel. It's actually something you do. The word humility actually comes and means to be made low. It's the idea of cutting yourself down to size. And humility is never going to be a significant characteristic in your life or my life until we make a regular choice to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves, intentional, on purpose. It's a goal. It's a New Year's resolution. It's a, it's a daily decision. It's multiple times a day. It's when I wake up in the morning. It's when I go to work. It's when I come home. It's when I go to... I mean, it's, it is actually something we have to do constantly. Humble ourselves. What have I done this week to humble myself? When have I actually, in a particular relationship, humbled myself? You see, after love, humility is the distinguishing characteristic of the Christian community. It's what changes things. Love is greater than all, but humility is that which Jesus it was an example to us in. And it changes the Christian community. It changes the way we do life. It changes the way that we uh, treat our spouses. It changes the way we raise our kids. Kids, it changes the way we treat authority. It changes everything. Humility is an incredible... Listen, I have sat for years with people and tried to help them. And as they walked out of my office hung my head in fear that there is no way to help that couple. They're just too proud. I've talked to many a teenager in rebellion and tried to wake them up and get them to realize that God has them where they are for a reason. And as I watched them continue to go down a path of destruction, thought, when will they humble themselves and submit? Humility. It's key. It's important. And it's no surprise that Peter starts at the top. 
And so my first thought this morning really is this, that humility in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 starts at the top with leadership. Look with me, if you would, please, at, <clears throat> at our text in verse 1. It says in 1 Peter 5, So I exhort the elders among you. I think it's noteworthy for us to remember several years ago when we transitioned our church from a singular man leading it, which is not biblical. It really isn't. It's traditional. Especially in Baptist churches, we find that there is this, this pastor, and we, we don't call him a, a lead pastor or a senior pastor. We're more comfortable. He, he's the pastor. The buck stops there. He is the man. And there can oftentimes be, without us even recognizing it, in an atmosphere where there is singular leadership, man worship. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've been in churches where I've experienced it. I have actually fallen prey to worshiping a man, not intentionally, not bowing down, but the way that I made decisions, the way that I led my life would have been more in fear of him than it would have been in, of God. So Peter knew what he was talking about, and not just Peter, but all of the New Testament, when it referred especially in the writings of Paul and the letters written to the church, always spoke of a plurality of leadership. Church, we did the right thing. We did the right thing. When we decided that this was the model of governance taught in Scripture. So I exhort the elders, not one leader on a pedestal. No. I love the fact that it's different now. Those of you that have been here for 27 years, remember, pastor opened in prayer, gave the announcement, took up the offering, opened the sermon in prayer, preached the sermon, led the worship, and gave the invitation. Remember that? Yeah. I, 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 I don't know that I was intentionally doing that because I wanted to be the big dog, but that's what I was doing, not even realizing. I love the fact that today our worship pastor can open the service and our missions pastor can close the service and other pastors can teach and preach and lead. And we have an elder group of lay elders, which represent, by the way, the lay elders are more in population on our elder board than our staff elders, our paid elders, because our church is better represented, better represented by lay elders than even paid elders. All of that is strategically decided so that we don't worship a man. So that all the responsibility does not fall on one person. So I exhort you, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, just one of many, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Was Peter there when Jesus died? Most would say he was not. But did Peter die as a martyr? Yes. Did Peter suffer with Christ and for Christ? Yes. And Peter here is making sure you and I, as we read this, understand that he had some authority in which to speak. He had some experience. He had some credentials. And part of that was that he had suffered for Christ. He had stood for Christ. He had been firm on, uh, with his faith. As well as, it goes on to say, I love this, a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Amen. How many of you would say, I'm glad I'm saved and heaven is going to be my home? Amen. 
That's right. That's what that's saying. That's what that's saying. It's basically saying Peter is just acknowledging the fact that he's a believer and that he is speaking with the understanding that life is short and eternity is forever. And he's glad he's going to heaven. And then here is the exhortation. Are you ready? It starts at the top. Shepherd the flock of God. Now, what's interesting about this is it's kind of weird for me to be preaching right now, isn't it? It seems as if it might even come better from a layman. Because in all actuality, I'm preaching to myself and you are listening. (laughs) This is for me. This is for other elders. This is for leadership. This might be also for a dad or for a boss or an employer or somebody who is has folks under them. But speaking specifically about the ministry and about the pastorate, about being an elder, he says here about himself, he writes about himself. And I like this because, church, I, for a few moments before I move on to point two, I stand before you and give an account. I give an account. Thus saith the Lord about Every pastor, elder in a church. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. What's interesting is those words among you, because it makes us uh, sort of ask the question, wait a minute. So if the elders are just among us, then I guess that means they're just one of us. Exactly. That's right. And can I tell you something else we did years ago? We took the thrones off the platform. How do you remember the thrones on the platform? Remember those big chairs? And they had the big high backs. I used to go to a church where there was 16 of them on the platform. And the men sat there all dressed in ties and suits. And visitors would come and say, so what's up with the Gestapo on the platform? Who are those guys? I mean, what are they? Who are they? It's scary. Can I tell you what it does? It takes the attention off of Jesus. And today, everything we do is about Jesus. What I'm doing right now is to point you to Jesus. What the worship is to do is to point you to Jesus. That's why we don't sing certain songs that we used to sing on Sunday morning, because those songs don't really point you to Jesus. They can be little fun, little cute things and sayings, but we're not here to be cute and say little cute things about little cute things. We're here to worship Jesus. And so everything we do... I don't sit on the platform with our staff anymore. I didn't know really. I was just following tradition. But I can remember when we took the chairs off, it bothered people. And, and I got it. I mean, it was, so what's up? Are we changing? Why are we taking the, the, the chairs off the platform? So we can worship Jesus and not man. So we can look to Jesus and not man. I remember it, we had a guy that used to sit on the platform at Gospel Light that fell asleep every service. Poor guy. I mean, he just fall asleep, you know, just not off the whole time. Bless his heart. I think he's glad we took the chairs off the platform. <laughs> but you see, that's not what this is about. I'm truly among you. I'm one of you. I struggle like you struggle. This is not me up here saying, you know, hey, I, I've got the perfect marriage, the perfect life, the perfect, I make every decision right, just... You know, no, no, this is about you understanding that I am one of you. I am broken like you are broken. I struggle like you, are, like you struggle. My wife and I go through hardships and heartaches and arguments like you do. 
My kids at times don't agree with me and we have to work things out like you do. I'm one sinner preaching to other sinners how we can all sin a little less. So this is not a posture of superiority and domineering as we'll see in just a moment. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Enjoy it because you love people, because you want to serve people as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Church, I, I can say this morning that I don't dread the ministry. I don't dread the calling of God on my life. I love this. I look forward to this. I would rather be here than anywhere in all the world. I'm so glad I don't travel like I used to. That was foolish of me to be gone all the time away from you, the people that God has allowed me to live life with and be in community with. I eagerly come to this pulpit every Sunday morning. I cannot wait to see you. I love this. I love living life with you. Not domineering over those in your charge. Do this, do that. Listen to me. If you don't like this, find another pastor. Not domineering over those in your charge. But being examples to the flock. Why? Because Jesus left us an example. So the example is Jesus, not me. I mean, only follow me as I follow Christ. Amen? Don't follow me as I follow man. Don't follow me as I follow tradition. Follow me as I follow Christ. And only then. And when the chief shepherd appears, elders, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. So there seems to be some sort of reward that God does have reserved for those who have been placed in leadership in the church, not because they're better, but because they have been placed in a, in, a, in a place, a special place to lead the flock of God as elders. And so that leads me to number two. Humility starts at the top, but number two, lest we feel as if it ends there, lest, let, let us be reminded, according to scripture, humility is for everyone. It's for everyone. It doesn't matter how much talent you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many spiritual gifts that you possess. It doesn't matter how much attention that you get. It doesn't matter. It's not what this is about. This is, this is understanding humility is for you just like it is for the elders. Humility is for children just as much as it is for parents and for parents. Just as much as it is for children. It's for an employer as much as it is for his employees. It's for the employees as much as it is for the employer. It's for the husband as much as it is for the wife. The wife as much as it is for the husband. Are you with me? It's for everyone. No one is exempt from this distinguishing characteristic of being a Christian. This is beautiful. Look at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. You like that? Like the way I said that? I mean, you know, anybody ever said that? Listen to your elders. Anybody done that, you know? Hey, that's okay. It's in the Bible. Listen to your elders. It's true. Younger people are blessed to have people in their lives who can 
pass down truth, pass down experience, give direction. And so Peter does open up that for discussion and how important is it for our youth, our our teens, our children, our young people, our children, our kids to listen and and to submit themselves uh, to advice from godly people in their lives. I mean, this is all good, but notice more importantly, and that's not my message. My message really is this. He then says, clothe yourselves, all of you. My message is not to emphasize one or the other. There's no need to. There's no need to. Why emphasize one over the other when the scripture says, clothe all of you. Every one of you clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe is another, it has the, the meaning of an apron. Put an apron on. You ever seen someone with an apron on and they're serving and they're cooking and they're helping others? They have an apron. They're a servant. They're a waiter, a waitress. Clothe yourselves, all of you. Can I tell you what is a match made in heaven? Can I tell you what makes for a 50-year marriage, a humble wife and a humble husband? Can I tell you what makes for a lifetime in one church as long as you live in that one city? A humble pastor and a humble congregation. Can I tell you what makes for a, a, a beautiful relationship with your employees, a humble boss and a humble employee? Humility. It's every one of us. Nobody's exempt. I don't have to emphasize this morning any one thing. I'm not teaching any one person. I'm teaching all of us the same thing. Clothe yourselves, it says. All of you with humility toward one another. All of us have this responsibility to clothe ourselves with humility. And Christ is our example. And so we find in John chapter 13 this amazing act of humility from the perfect sinless son of God. Here he is. He's never sinned. He's, he's, he's never done anything offensive. He is Jesus. And I'm not worthy to read this on the platform. I really am not. I'm going to sit among you. And I'm going to read this to you. And we're going to talk about it for just about two minutes. So John 13, I'll read it to us. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands... And that he had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus rose up from supper. Jesus laid aside his outer garments and he took a towel. And he tied it around his waist. Clothe yourselves, all of you. Then he poured water into a basin. And Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them. With the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, or rather he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you're never going to wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon then says, Lord, 
not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus says, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. So if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. That's incredible. I could have brought someone on the platform this morning and washed their feet, and it would have been okay. It would have been maybe an example, but I don't think it would have been as powerful as us actually reading that account and understanding that figuratively speaking, it's not that we have to actually watch each other. Though there's nothing wrong with that as a picture of what Christ is teaching. The lesson is this. All of us should consider all of us better than ourselves. It's serving. It's not about me. It's not about what I want and what I feel. It's about what can I do to serve you? How can I help you? How how can I come alongside you? What, What can I do for you? How are you doing? What can I pray with you about? And when all of us are doing that to all of us, I can assure you there is a love that will be seen by the world that will be undeniable. The opposite is pride. And so here's the question. Why would we do that? Why would we wash each other's feet? Why why would I be more concerned with you than me? That brings us to number three. Humility is graced by God. It's graced by God. Think about this with me. Let's read that whole verse together. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the pride. In other words, the proud. In other words, God says to those of us who choose pride, God says, I'm not helping you. You're on your own. You want to do it your way? Have at it. I'm I'm not going to help you. I am not going to come alongside you. I'm not going to help you. I'm, you just, you want to figure it out? You don't want my help? You want to do your own thing? You think your way is the, high, the highway? You think it's always got it? Then, then that's fine. I, I oppose you. I'm against you. He opposes the proud. So why would I want to wash your feet? I need the grace of God. I can't live without it. I can't do this life by myself. I need the grace of God. I can't pastor this church without his grace. I can't be a good husband without his grace. I can't be a good dad without his grace. I can't die without his grace. I need the grace of God. So God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Why would I do this? Because I need the grace of God. Every time we choose to be humble, God gives us grace. He gives us grace. 
And we need his grace. I want that grace. I'm not better than God's grace. I'm only here by the grace of God. Only here by the grace of God. Apart from the grace of God, I'm an idiot. I'm a, I'm a loser. I'm a jerk. Apart from the grace of God, I'm the worst husband in this room. Trust me. Apart from the grace of God, I can't raise my children. Trust me. I've blown it a lot of times. I've made a lot of mistakes as a parent. But I tell you, I'm thankful that I've humbled myself because God's given me grace. You see, when you take humility and put it with humility, it equals a beautiful thing. Number four, the next thing is this. Humility does not need to cause anxiousness. What do I mean by that? Well, the scripture is going to address this in just a moment, verse 6 and 7. But before we do, let's address this thought. Sometimes, if you're like me, would you say that sometimes, and I'll just say sometimes instead of all the time, just sometimes. To give us a little credit, right? We need a little credit. But sometimes we tend to look out for number one, don't we? Anybody else like that? Okay, good. A few of us. I tend to look out for number one. I mean, I do. I, you say, who's number one? Me. Of course I'm number one. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know? I got, I got problems too. And I've got concerns. And I've got issues. And I've got needs. And I've got favorite restaurants. And I've got stuff I like. And I've got presents I want. You know what I mean? It's, it's hard to resist that sometimes. Because we just, in the flesh, we're looking out for me. So notice with me, if you would. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves. Since he gives grace, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. What does it mean to be under the mighty hand of God? Listen, this is the circumstantial pressure that God allows in your life. Things happen, right? God allowed that to happen to you. You are under the mighty hand of God. He is putting that pressure on you. It's not a bad thing. He knows what he's doing. So as a result of that, what you and I want to do is get out from underneath the pressure. We don't like it. So what we want to do is we want to get out from underneath that pressure. That's why we often turn to alcohol, right? Give me a glass of wine. Give me a little booze. It'll make me feel better. Let me pop some pills. I've, I've got, I'm, I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. Woe is me. I don't like what I feel. I don't like the pressure under this mighty hand of God who loves me, who cares for me, who would never hurt me. And whatever I'm going through is because he loves me and he's got a plan for this. But I don't like it. So I'm going to go get me a glass of wine. I'm going to the bar. I'm going to drink. I'm going to pop a pill. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go look at some porn. I'm just getting, I'm, I got to divert. I can't handle this. But, but God says, humble yourself. Hunder, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time. That's what it says. If I were you, I would highlight proper time. I would circle proper time. I would underlight proper time. I would asterisk proper time. I would not forget proper time. You say, why? Because it's not necessarily the next time. 
and it's not necessarily ever going to be on time. <laughs> and it's not going to be every time. And it's not going to be my time. It never is. God never does anything on my timetable. I tell God all the time, God, what are you waiting for? What are you doing? What's going on here? God, I'm still waiting. And God says, <clears throat> at the proper time. You're under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself. So at the proper time, he will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will make sure that you are exonerated. He will exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says it like this. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What anxieties are we talking about? Don't be anxious about anything. What anxieties are we talking about? Let's go back to my, my point. The anxieties that we're talking about are the things that I worry about when I consider humbling myself under the mighty hand of God. I worry about stuff like who's going to take care of me? Who's going to take care of my worries? If I got to worry about everybody else, God, if I got to make sure everybody else's needs are met, who's going to meet mine? I don't like this, God. What's your plan? Because I need to be taken care of. I've got concerns. I've got issues. So God, what do I do? Here's his answer. I'll just cast those upon me. Look at the text. Casting all your anxieties on him. So that's it. Just cast them on you. Yeah. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one ever. No, uh, no one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Thank you, honey. <laughs> She's a little older than I am, so she knows the song. And... Uh, <laughs> Six months, six months. <laughs> oh, how much he cares for me. He cares for me. The things that I worry about, he cares for me. So how do I, next question, next question, Eric. Next question, Eric. How do I cast my cares upon God? Answer, Psalm 62 and verse 8. Trust him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. Pour it out. Pour it out means just, just vomit it out, vomit it out on him. You say, oh, really? Yeah. Just tell him everything. He knows it anyway. Just spew it out. Yeah, but sometimes it doesn't sound real good. Just get it out. Just say it. But, but God may be offended. He's not going to be offended. He knows anyway. Instead of spewing with your girlfriend over the phone, gossip, spew to God, not gossip. Just tell God. Tell him how you feel. Tell them what you're angry about. Tell them what you're frustrated about. Tell them why you feel neglected. Tell them why you feel abused. Tell him everything. Because guess what? Here's what he's going to say. Whoa, dude. That's a lot, girl. That's way too much for me today. I'm sorry. I Listen, I, I, I know what I said in the Bible, but that, I, you know, I, everything but that. I can't handle it. And so God says, listen, I can handle just about anything, but sometimes I reach a limit and there's some things I can't handle and you fall. Do you think that I'm, hopefully you think I'm being sarcastic. I'm glad I'm not getting any amens right now. <laughs> the truth is he cares for you and it is never too much for God. Never. Never. 
God never says, this is too much for me. Oh, my good. Gabriel, listen to this. She's been yelling for 10 minutes. It's crazy. She just keeps telling me all her problems. I mean, she's gone way past the ones I knew she had. I mean, he's just, he's just struggling. He's down there. He's trying to cast all his cares upon me like I told him in 1 Peter. But, I mean, it's just too much. God never says that, ever. In fact, here's what God's philosophy is. Number one, he says this. He says, less on you and more on me. Less on you and more on me. God says, here's how I kind of want to operate. I want you to have it much easier and I want to have it much tougher because I can handle it. God says, I got this. You will never put too much on me, ever. So use me and abuse me, God says. I'm good. I'm always going to be good. Cast all your anxieties on me, God, because I care for you. Number five, humility will be attacked. Who will attack your humility? Well, if you make a choice to be humble, Satan will. Notice in verse eight, be sober-minded, be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Who is he speaking about here? Remember, we've decided to study the scriptures contextually, right? That's one of the beautiful things about going verse by verse. What is the context of the scripture? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the person speaking up here, this person who is going to be devoured, is the person filled with pride. He is a, he's food for the enemy. He's done. You see somebody lifted up in pride? Trust me, the devil is all over that. He is seeking whom he may devour. How did Lucifer fall? How did, the, how did Lucifer, how did Satan fall? Pride. How did Satan win in the Garden of Eden? They wanted to become like God. Pride. And the devil devours that. He destroys people who are filled with pride. Resist him, verse 9. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings... I love this. Oh, this is beautiful. Knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. Is that comforting to you? How comforting is it for you to know that brothers and sisters all across the world are going through the same stuff you're going through? How cool is that? People in China, Christians in China are going through what you're going through. Christians in Iran. That's our brothers and sisters all over the world. They're humbling themselves. They're under pressure, much more pressure than you and I are in America. Trust me. They're losing their families. They're being... They're being burned at the stake. They're being decapitated because they won't renounce the name of Christ. They have to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. Is this it, God? If this is my life, if this is it, if this is the last day I'm living, I will not renounce the name of And they wake up in glory and receive a crown of life. And Jesus says, welcome home. You and I, we're under a little pressure here in this life, aren't we? Sometimes we have to stand for our faith. Sometimes we, we have to... Stand up for Christ in a certain area and we feel that pressure. And, and God says, humbly, humbly stand for me. Be humble about your faith. Don't be arrogant. Don't be better than anyone else because people all over the world are suffering just like you're suffering. And after you've suffered, verse 10, 
I love this. You ever thought about that little, every jot and every tittle? This is one of those jot tittles. And after you've suffered, kind of a rib, for a little while. Can I tell you one thing that I really feel like we've got to work on? We complain like we've been suffering all of our lives. Like everything, like I talk to husbands and wives, 25 years, I've been miserable. I'm like, really? Have, can, can, we, can you give me like one hour that was good? Can you give me like a little segment of 25 years that was decent? The birth of your child, maybe? Something? I, I think what Peter is doing, he's just reminding us, hey guys, quit complaining. This is just a little while. That was a good place for an amen right there. This is just a little while. Compared to eternity, this is just a little while. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Humility will be attacked. Be strong in the Lord. God's in control. And finally, number six, humility is contagious. It's contagious. What we see here in these last three verses, sometimes we take these verses and we're like, you know, well, that's it. Everything else is just like some little deal about, you know, kissing everybody and a couple of little, you know, salutations. And I usually skip the last few verses of, no, 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 we're not going to skip it because you know what the last three verses deal with? They still deal with humility. Because it's contagious. Because Peter wasn't the only one being humble. He recognizes, notice with me here in the text. Would you do that for just a moment as we close? By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you. Paul, Peter, it's been said, probably could not write. He probably physically could not pen the letter, and so he needed help. So he gets his buddy Sylvanus, and he says, look, maybe it was arthritis. I don't know what it was. Maybe he had some sort of crippling disease in his hands, carpal tunnel. Maybe he was blind. I don't know what the problem was, but I know Peter could not write the book by himself. So I know you and I have said a lot about First Peter, but maybe it should have been First Peter, and in parentheses, Sylvanus. You say, I've never really heard about Sylvanus until just now. I know. You see, it's never about the guy on the platform. It's about everybody else around him. Hey, don't walk out of here today thinking I preached a good sermon. It was really the sound man. You heard it because the sound man was in his place. He's been here for five hours this morning, by the way, five hours. See the guy up here in the media booth flipping the little switches? You say, yeah, anybody can do that. Oh, really? Well, would you volunteer then, please? We've been waiting for you. We really have. We need more volunteers. So if everybody can do it, I'm sure you just would love to thank you you see the reason why we're in here today and i know every now and then we have a crying baby and i get it it's okay if you have a baby and it cries sometimes i get it but today's been nice it's been quiet can i tell you what's nice about that is we got a nursery and there's people over there you say yeah but 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 i don't know who they are well you didn't know who sylvanus was till this morning now you love it Don't you love Sylvanus? I'm kind of like thinking it should have been first and second Sylvanus. I mean, he wrote it. You see, my point is this. Humility is not looking for the glory. Humility is not looking for the credit. Humility is not saying, look at me. Look at what I did. Why can't I be on stage? Humility says, 
Give me some bulletins to pass out. Let me clean a toilet. Let me vacuum a floor. What do you need done around here? Can I mow the lawn? I don't care what I do. I just want to help get the gospel out. And if helping get the gospel out means you need something cleaned or you need somebody standing at a door, I'll do it. Sylvanus. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in this. Verse 13. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen. You might think, well, well, it's just like a boyfriend-girlfriend thing. What's going on here? No, no. She is speaking about the church. The scripture always speaks about the church and the feminine gender. She. We're the bride of Christ. Amen. He's coming for his bride. So she, who is at Babylon, Babylon is Rome. So this was like a cryptic communication. And oftentimes back in that day, they had to do that. And sometimes our missionaries have to write like that, don't they, Uh, uh, Scott? They have to send us letters and we really don't understand. We have to read between the lines because they can't say certain things. Such was the case in this letter. So she, the church at Rome, that's what this is. He's recognizing that it was the church at Rome. He's blessing them. They've been chosen. They send you greetings. And so does Mark. Ah, Mark, my buddy, my son. In fact, many have said that the gospel of Mark was probably written with Peter's help because they were so close. Mark, I want you to know I've written this book, but Mark's been with me. And then he says this, greet one another with a kiss of love. Now this morning, I know that I can greet my wife with a kiss of love. And everybody around here would think, oh, that's cute. Did you see the pastor just kissed his wife? That's so sweet. Oh, I love it when that. But can I tell you, I'm not suggesting we, you know, have a clinic on kissing in church. Okay. I'm not. I don't think there's anything sinful about it. There's a lot of church cultures that practice greeting one another with a holy kiss on the cheek. My, my family does. Many cultures still kiss on the cheek. It's not weird. It's not crazy. It would be a little strange in a Baptist church. I get it. In fact, I'm surprised nobody's leaving right now. Afraid I'm about to institute something that you're... <laughs> kiss the person next to you. I'm so glad it's my wife. You know? But I am suggesting this. We do not have enough affection in church. We don't. I think this church is above average. Most people think I'm a freak show because I tell them I love them when they first meet me. But to me, that's what Christianity is all about. It's love. And it's expressing love. And so, you know, I saw Cassie this morning and I said, Ah, Cassie, just give me a hug now. And we we hugged her. Good to see you. She didn't take it like, the pastor's flirting. It's just like, actually, who was sitting over there? Caleb was sitting over there. And so when I went, to, she, she kind of slid the back and she thought I was trying to hit, hug Caleb. And I said, come on, give me a hug. Now, here's my point. I realize we got a lot of perversion in the church. And so this is the only Sunday I can preach on this because it's in the Bible. So I'm going to take advantage of it. But I think sometimes we are way too afraid of, of, of making a mistake. So we just back off and we just have all this formal church stuff. Hello, Bishop. God bless you. How you doing? Good to see you. God bless you. How you doing, Bishop? Love you too. You see, we need to love one another. Now, they may, you may not be care, comfortable with a hug. You may, you may not. And by the way, you, I'm not suggesting that. I didn't man, I'm plan on preaching this long about this, but I'm not suggesting that 
anything when I say this other than we are to love one another. And it ought not be strange when you hear the words, I love you in church. That ought to be commonplace, normal, and beautiful. Amen. So guess what, church? Peter says, let's love one another. Let's care for one another. Let's express that love. Let's recognize that we need to have peace to all of you who are in Christ. I say that to say this. That God today is calling us to humility. And the posture of humility this morning may need to be at the altar on our knees. It may need to be in the pews. It may need to be with a loved one. It may need to be standing up and worshiping in our hearts. But I can't imagine the Sunday before Christmas not expressing some form of humility within our bodies. This is not a Sunday for us to just be normal. This is a Sunday for us to fall down and worship. Whether it's on the altar, some way in our pews, some way in our hearts. How can we preach on humility and not be called to a posture of humility? So I just ask you this morning, however that looks for you, however that looks for you, whatever you're comfortable with, fall on your knees. In just a moment, we're going to sing, Oh, Holy Night. There's a part of that song that says, fall on your knees. It's funny how often we sing songs about humility, but we don't practice it. So however that looks, as we sing, as we worship, let's just fall before the grace of God. Let's humble ourselves. Let's make 2020 the best year we've had for our marriage because of humility, for raising kids because of humility, for being a church member because we're going to be humble. It's not going to be my way. It's going to be your way. It's not going to be my desires, honey. It's going to be yours. I said it in front of everybody. You like that? You see, we need, we need, we need uh, accountability, don't we? Can you imagine if every husband got in the car and looked at his wife and said, Sweetheart, in 2020, I want to serve you. I know I've been selfish, but I want to be better about being humble towards you. Marriages would change. Relationships would change. Humility is the greatest distinguishing characteristic of the Christian community aside from love. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to open up your word, preach it word for word. Lord, none of this that I've said this morning is, Lord, my words, my thoughts, my ideas. Lord, this has been your word teaching us, humbling us. God, I today stand before you a very proud man, a proud man, arrogant, just filled with my way. God, I need you to forgive me. God, I want to be the kind of man that is more concerned about his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, his church family than he is about himself. God, I pray that you would help me to be a more humble servant this year than I've ever been in years past. May 2020 be the year of humility in our marriages, in our homes, in our churches. We pray in Jesus' name.